0: Good morning, Long Island Alliance Church. It is good to be with you all, and I welcome you from Pennsylvania. It is good to be here. And I wanna thank you because I have been a recipient of uh, the gifts of the missions department here at Long Island Alliance Church. Also, before I start, I just want to tell you that I have a few of my newsletters I bought. Uh, It's out in the foyer that it talks about the radio ministry of Donna Batiste Ministries. And unbeknownst to us that when we started this radio ministry, we thought it would have reached people basically in the New York, you know, New Jersey, Connecticut area. Well, we started receiving emails from all over the world, uh, from Australia, from South Africa, from Morocco, from Algeria, from Venice, Italy, and so on and so on, it started coming out. We began to realize that this radio ministry was more of a mission work than we ever thought. It is going to places that I may never get to go, but the word of the Lord is reaching the ends of the earth. So I want to thank you personally for what you have done and what you continue to do through this uh, radio program. Um, The message the Lord has for me today comes from, as was read, Luke chapter 14, and it is the invitation dilemma. Allow me to pray, please. Father, I come before you this morning, O God, to praise you and to magnify you, to give you all thanks and honor and glory and blessing. Father, I pray that you would have your will and your way, in me. I pray, dear Lord God, that your word will go forth with might and with power. You know, God, I'm not here to impress anybody, neither to offend anyone. I want to preach your word as you have given it to me. I pray, dear Lord God, that each person who leaves here today would leave here encouraged to understand how blessed and honored we are as believers that we are in cycle to certain blessings of the Lord, but sad to say, we take some of those blessings for granted. I pray that people will be challenged today in every way possible, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let me move this down a bit. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm talking about the invitation dilemma. I just want to read a little portion of the scripture just before the pericope that was read. I'm going to read from verses 12 and 13, where it says, "Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Today, I want to talk about the invitation dilemma. Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding on May 19, 2018 was one of the most highly anticipated and talked about events of the century. Leaders of countries, head of state, Harry's royal family members, Meghan's commoner family members, friends' well-wishers, even down to the man and woman of the street, all hoped with bated breath for an invitation to this most celebrated and prestigious event. As the day drew closer, An invitation began to arrive in the mail. Family members on both sides fought, complained through public temper tantrums via the media that they were not included. One Newcaster reported that Harry had to go up against the leaders of the royal family to insist that one member banned from the family must be invited, must be given an invitation. Listen, an invitation on that level of society is never to be taken lightly by anyone. Yet in our text for today, we will see that is exactly what happened. Our Lord and Christ used the lackadaisical and careless attitude of the invitees to show through the parable what I call the invitation dilemma. As we look at Luke fourteen, fifteen to 23, our text for today, we're going to ask this question of the text. What was Jesus' aim in giving this parable at this particular time, in this particular setting, to this particular group of people? We will learn this by looking at three points. You know, any good pastor always roll out with three points. Amen? So I came with my three points this morning. One, the invitation given, taken from verses 12 to 16. The invitation despised, taken from verses 17 to 21. And the invitation accepted from 22 to 24. So our first verse, our first um, point. What was Jesus' aim in giving this parable at this particular time, in this particular setting, to this particular group of people? The invitation sent comes from verses 14 to 16, but allow me to read as I read from 12 and on, it says, And Jesus said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. Verse 15, When one of those at the table... With him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. What is a parable before we go on? Before we proceed, allow me to remind some and to inform others of what a parable is. Many teachers and preachers of the word would describe it as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In the latter part of his ministry, Jesus used parables as a teaching method. It was such a departure from what he had done prior that his disciples questioned him in Matthew 13, verse 10, by asking, why do you speak to people in parables? Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you and not to them. The basic meaning is this. Jesus chose to speak in parables to reveal truth to those who wanted to hear it and know it and conceal it from those who did not. Those who have ears, let them hear Matthew 11 verse 15. For example, Many people today can read the Bible, but it's only a person who has taken Jesus Christ as their savior has get into the deep meaning of the word, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit who opens our minds to the understanding of the word of God. We call that in theology, the doctrine of illumination. That's why you can have professors teaching the Bible and they can teach the Bible and it as dry as toast. They teach it as literature. They teach it as a word. They teach it as good teaching. But I want to tell you today, and some of you can come up here and testify to this, that there were times that before you came and took Jesus Christ as your savior. You tried to read that Bible, and it was boring. It made no sense to you, You could read it and it had nothing to it. But when you took Jesus Christ as your Savior, you start to read the Word of God and things you did not understand before, things that didn't make sense before. All of a sudden, the Word of God became alive to you. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ promised that he would send, that would give you illumination to help you to understand the Word of God. Exciting. That's why the people out there in the world can't understand the word of God. And by the way, why are they reading it? That is God's letter to us. Jesus' letter to us. It's like somebody peeking in your, um, your email, trying to read your stuff and don't understand what's going on. So when you take Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and shed the light of understanding on the word of God, the Holy Scriptures. So a parable is a method of teaching Jesus used to hammer home a heavenly truth to his listening audience. The occasion for this earthly story with heavenly meaning took shape in Jesus' mind as he attended the dinner at the home of a prominent Pharisee. And we see that in the earlier part of chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. At this dinner it's where he taught on the healing and the unhealing and working on the Sabbath. You see that in verses 5 to 6. He taught on not seeking. Are not seeking seats of honor and on inviting the poor to a dinner or luncheon. Jesus then closed the time with a conclusion which highlighted the taking of the lower seat and inviting the poor and the outcasts to luncheons and dinners. He said those who do so will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. After giving this wonderful teaching, This didactic moment, one person responded in verse 15 that we just read. Yes, the person said, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Look at this. Jesus was speaking in general of all peoples of the earth who will participate in the resurrection. But this man, in his reply to Jesus, missed it. He was looking at the great end time messianic banquet which in his mind was only for the people of Israel. And this great feast will take place when the Messiah gathers his people in heaven. Because of this man's response, Jesus formulated at that moment a parable to teach him and all listening about the invitation dilemma. I am doing a bit of teaching this morning. So hold on with me. Don't get lost in a moment. Don't let your brain start to wander. But there is something I want you to understand. Jesus talked about an invitation that was sent. And an invitation always have a sender and and a receiver. The one who sent the invitation, the person, the master who sent the invitation was a person of wealth. One of prominence. How do we know this? First of all, he said because the invitation was to a great banquet. Secondly, we know it was a person of wealth because the recipients, the people invited, they were wealthy and most likely prominent in society as well. One, it said, had just bought a field. One had just bought five yoke of oxen. And in that day, an ordinary man on the street was not privy to the sum of money that would allow him to purchase a field much more five yoke of oxen. By the way, when we talk about a yoke of oxen, it meant a pair. So that meant at least ten oxen, right? Now, I know we don't live in a farming community like our dear friends from Pennsylvania, So buying 10 oxens may not be exciting for you. So let me bring it into today's world. He had enough money. He was saying, I just bought 10 cars. Or we can say he just bought, for those those of you who do blue-collar work, 10 pickup trucks. Or let's push it. He just bought 10 18-wheelers. You get the idea now? That's what he was saying. So these people were not people who were poor. They were people who had wealth. Then another said, I just married a wife. He meant he had his own wedding feast to attend. If this master is of that social circle, then this man's wedding feast would have also been a great feasting banquet as well. And he did not want to miss it. To put it succinctly, the one who who sent out the invitation was a prominent, wealthy man in society. One who, because of his prominence and notoriety, for a person to have received an invitation from him, that would have been a thing of great honor. The fact that he invited many guests and it was to be a great banquet, so that this was to have been the party of parties. This man, this master, could have afforded to throw this kind of banquet and meet out the kind of expense, and it would not have affected his financial holdings. It would have been a mere pittance for him overall. Therefore, this kind of invitation, people would fight to have been included on the list of invitees. As has happened with the invitation to the latest wedding of the British royal family that was almost a media circus. Anybody would have given their eye tooth to be able to go. Therefore, these listeners to the parable would have understood that the invitation sent was one that would have been highly prized, highly sought after, highly valued, and they themselves must have been thinking, oh my, what would it have been if I were there to receive that kind of invitation? Remember, Jesus was at a banquet with a prominent Jewish leader, and he was telling this story, so he had their rapt attention. Second point, what was Jesus' aim in giving this parable at this particular time, in this particular setting, to this group of particular people? We want to look at the invitation despised. As we said earlier, the invitees to the banquet seem to have been a part of an inner circle of wealthy, wealthy persons. In a biblical time or day, a person evidenced wealth not by the money they had, but by the size of their land holdings or fields or vineyards, the size and variety of livestock, the many level of household servants they had. And thank God it doesn't happen today how many wives they would, they would have. Amen and thank you, Jesus. The one given the banquet had to be well known. To the recipients of the invitation, one of their own inner circle. Remember, as I said, Jesus was talking to those who were attending the dinner at the home of a prominent Pharisee, obviously wealthy. The parable was most appropriate and it had their attention. They would have understood exactly the scenario Jesus was describing. He had their attention as they called to mind the image of the wealthy man sending out invitation to those of his inner circle. And persons who would feel honored to have received the invitation. Imagine those at the dinner of the Pharisees sitting around listening to Jesus spellbound as Jesus unfolded this This earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Then suddenly, the parable takes an unexpected turn. The one the master invited to the honored event refused to come. One could almost hear the listeners gasp. What? They refused to come? You could have heard rumbling through the car. Rumble, 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 rumble. Unheard of. A thing not done shameful. The invitees refuse. Let me read 18. It says, but they all alike, remind, let me read this again. They all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. The other, still another said, I just got married. I cannot come. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to understand, it is the custom of that day to send out an invitation. And the invitation went out by hand, or by word of mouth, the servant of the household will go and do the master's bidding and would then report back to the master what each invitee said. He would set and prepare the banquet accordingly to the number of persons who said they were coming, and that was the first call to the invitation. When the final preparation for the banquet is in progress, there is a second and final call of the invitation. The master determines the date and the time the banquet will begin. And as was said in our scripture, the servant went out to give the final call. And at that point is when the story turns. Those privileged and those honored to be invited, As the master's first choice had initially responded that they would come. At the arrival of the master's servant with the second and final call, they said, no, they would not come. It would be like a bride. While everyone is at the church waiting, she chooses not to show up and says, no, I'm not coming to the wedding. It would be like a young man or young woman Dressed up for the prom and ready and waiting for the prom date. And the prom date says, no, I'm not coming. What? I find it interesting the way in which each of the invitee of the parable said no. Their responses show three personality types that populate the world. But but it is known Be it known that each one used lame excuses to state why they cannot come. I'm not going to talk about the three personalities right away. I'm not going to give you all the good stuff at the beginning. That's a cliffhanger to keep you interested. So it's coming. Hold on, hold on, hold on. In verse 28, look at verse verse 28. I'm sorry, in verse 18, the first one said, I had just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Now he said that he had bought the field, right? The field was already paid for. The field was his. He could have waited a day or two or three, however long the banquet would have taken to see the field. Because in that day, sometimes the banquets went on for a whole week. The the other one said, oh, I bought 10 oxen. And he wasn't on his way to try them out. Can we establish the fact that these people were wealthy? Can we establish the fact that he had bought the oxen? The oxen was already, the oxen were already his. So what would have mattered if he waited a day or two or three to test out the oxen? Would you listen to me here at this moment? These were wealthy men with a plethora of servants. Why then could they not have sent one of the servants to carry out these menial tasks? Or could they not have gone to the banquet and asked to be released early? No, they did. Pised the invitation and deep down they didn't want to come and they used lame excuses to get out of it. Now, what about the guy who's married, right? He has as good and as plausible as as an excuse as one could come up with. How can you fight against this excuse? I'm married. I have a wife. I cannot come to your banquet. Because in that day when a man was married, the army excused him from, from, from the military up until a year. So how can we argue with this man given the excuse that he is married and he cannot come? Until you understand that it's the man who sets the date for the nuptials. The bride must always be ready. She would not know the time, the day, or the night the man would come. So she must be ready because he decides when he's going to go. And he will meet his wife. And then it will take place. So listen, if the bridegroom sets the date when he will go to get his bride. And if the bridegroom has the power to determine the date of the marriage. Then his excuse was the worst of the lot. Because he could have gotten married Anytime. And remember, he had already said that he would come and the master would have seen through his pitiful excuse. There is more to this. There is more. There is more. When you look at that phrase where it says in verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The Greek phrase there is apomais They all alike began to make excuses, suggest that they were of one mind and one agreement, they conspired. With one another to do the same thing. That is the phrase that Jesus used. What Jesus was sharing was the fact that those invited form an alliance against this certain man. Not to go to the banquet and to tell him some sort of flimsy excuse. And they determined to do it at the second call. When it would have been too late for him to call off the banquet. I would have embarrassed him publicly. Their response, I said, covered three personality types. One, the people-pleasing personality. They are the ones who seem to just say the right thing at the right time in the right way. They will chop off your foot and you will feel wonderful about it because they say it in such a nice way. I call this person the diplomat. The man said, please And he said it in a very humble way as he pled necessity. And then he said, I must needs go. Please understand. The second one, I call that the firm personality. The person is strong and tough yet kind. And he said, I bought oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excuse. He made no attempt to appease the man. No, I'm sorry. He made an attempt to appease the man, but he did not ask for his understanding. In other words, he was saying, listen, this is my reason. I cannot come. I called that person to appease her. Then there is the I don't care personality. He said, listen, I'm married. I'm not coming. He made no attempt to beg understanding. He made no attempt to appease a person. He just simply said, I am not coming. I don't care. We need to understand, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we say no to God, it matters not if you say it in a nice way, you're the diplomat. It matters not if you're an appeaser. It matters not if you have the don't care personality. In God's eyes, no is no. We in the church tend to have much more of an appreciation for the diplomatic kind of personality. But in God's eyes, whether you're a diplomat, whether you're a peaser, whether you're a don't care person, God considers all on the same level and he considers your no, no, and it hurts. We may slide by with those kind of behaviors in the church, but when it comes to the things of God, God evaluates it on the same level. Imagine the listener's response, those who are the, the, the banquet of this prominent Jewish leader, and all the other Jewish leaders were there. When they heard this summary of excuses given, I am sure this was not all the excuses of the many who were invited and did not come. But the excuses fell into three categories. People refuse the invitation because of their investments. Sometimes the things we have invested in, be it money, be it time, be it our dreams and our desires, people block out the things of God. Then there is also the business. Sometimes our work gets in the way. Oh, I can't come to church. I got to stay at work. I can't come to church. I got this going on. And it blocks out the things of God. Sometimes the personal matters. Oh, I got to take care of the family. I gotta do this, I got to do that. So the men use excuses like the investment, the field, the business oxen, and the personal matters marriage to deny and despise the invitation that Jesus said. What Jesus was showing was that they who were honored and privileged to receive the benefit of the invitation despised it so much that for whatever reason they conspired to say no. They're not coming. However nice or mean they may have said it, no is still no to God. And it hurts. They despise the invitation. And it generated an angry response from that certain man, from the master, from from the owner. And it brings us to our third point. But before I go on, I want to remind us There are some of you sitting here that God has been calling to get involved in the things of the Lord. Maybe even calling you to a deeper walk with him. Maybe calling you maybe even, how does it may sound, to leave some businesses and leave some investments, and come into the work that he has for you. But sometimes we allow the things of life to loom so large in front of us that we're afraid if we let go of this or let go of that, What we might lose, but we don't realize that in the process we are losing our relationship with God. We are losing something more valuable. Because if God is calling you to leave something, it's because he has something greater and better waiting for you. But you're not going to know it until you put your foot in the Jordan. And it's only when you put your foot in the Jordan that the water's part and you're able to see what God has for you. Third point, what was Jesus' aim in giving this parable at this particular time, in this particular setting, to this group of particular people? We will learn this by looking at our third and final point, the invitation accepted. And that comes from, starting at verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to the master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered have been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited, would get a taste of my banquets. When the master heard the refusal, he was hurt. It was the height of insult. It showed that they preferred their own gratification over honoring. His invitation, they insulted his hospitality, they showed ingratitude, they were ungrateful, it was like contempt poured on his hospitality. They refused to respond to the call of his servant to come, not once, but twice. It is like refusing to come when Christ called. And so many of us have come to church since we were young, And we have heard the call of Jesus Christ and have not responded. I often say, whenever I preach in churches, that you are not. A Christian because you come to church. You're not a Christian because you serve in the church. You're not a Christian because even if you go and do a mission trip. You're not a Christian because your mama was a Christian and your father was a Christian. You're not a Christian because your father is a pastor or because he's an evangelist. You become a Christian when you answer the call of Jesus Christ to take him as savior. That is the only way he said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Acts 4.12 says there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And we know that is the name Jesus Christ. John 1.12 said to all who receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. It is not enough to believe. It said Satan believes and trembles. You have to believe and you have to receive him. So Christ gave the call. The master said, They do not want, if they don't want to listen to the invitation, let's give it to others. He offered them the best and they did not want it. Let me tell you about the anger of the master. To understand the depth of the master's anger, I want to look at the Greek word, which is the word thumos. It means outburst of anger with deep passion. Getting heated up, breathing violently with rage, personally venting anger. The man was angry. You can understand his anger If you were to spend thousands of dollars on a banquet and people you invited all conspired not to come and did not come, how would you feel? The master was very angry, but he did not remain in his anger. He said, if they do not want it, he will find those who do. Look at verse 21. The servant came back and reported to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servants to go out quickly into the streets and alleys to the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. The people who were in the banquet were the wealthy, prominent ones. No? Well, the ones who refused it, the master said, go out to the town, the street and the alleyways. These are Jews That the wealthy one looked down upon and despised and would never have invited into their banquet. So the master said, oh, they don't want it? Well, go out and bring in the very people they despise. Bring them out from the alleyways. Bring them out from the street. Bring in the cripple. Bring in the blind. And bring in the lame. And if you people who are... People of the, of the scripture understand, the Jews believed that if you were crippled, blind, and lame, had leprosy, you were not going to heaven. So therefore, what Christ was saying to them, you who don't want to come to the banquet, I am going to invite the ones in that you least expect to be there, and they will accept. The second thing he said, sir, the servant said, we have ordered what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in. This is now referring to the Gentiles because this was no longer in town. This was outside the town. And you know the Jews at that time despised the Gentiles and looked down on the Gentiles and thought that the Gentiles would never ever be part of that great messianic feast. And what Jesus Christ was saying to them. You who have been so privileged and entitled. You have despised your rightful blessing. You despise it. You don't want to come. You don't want to yield. So therefore I am going out to the very people. That you think would not be a part of heaven. I'm going out to the Jews you despise. The nasty ones. that The the." The outcasts, I'm going to the Gentiles, the one you think would not have a part of this kingdom. What Jesus was trying to say, he was bringing a strong indictment upon the people. Those who are despised of society today, you have to understand, the man who was giving the banquet represented God. That was the parable. The servant represented Christ who gave the first and the second call that the people rejected. The banquet is the feast of the righteous in heaven. It was not just for the Jews. It was not just for certain people. It was for everybody. The parable was one that posed a dilemma, an invitation dilemma, because the ones honored and privileged spurned their rightful blessing, and they treated it lightly. This parable was an indictment on the Jewish leaders. They treated it lightly, they took it lightly, took for granted the blessing God gave to them. They despised it so much that God gave it to another. It was an indictment upon the Jewish leaders because they're privileged entitlement, they despise their rightful blessing. They took it for granted that they would be a part of the great messianic feast. It is also an indictment upon the church today. We who are benefited from the good preaching and teaching, we who are benefited from freedom to go to church every day if we choose to, we take these things for granted. And there is a judgment that is coming upon the church that has come upon the Jewish people because we can turn on the radio anytime and listen to a sermon. We can turn on the TV anytime and listen to a sermon. We have Bibles lining our shelves that is catching dust and we don't read it. We have services that go on in church and people don't attend it. Oh, there is always something going on at that church. Oh my goodness, I always have to attend. Oh, another Bible study. Oh, another time of prayer. How many times some of us get up in the morning and spend time in God's presence, spend time in the word and time in prayer and time calling out to the Lord. How many of us remember the days when we used to lay in God's face and cry out before him with tears? Tears running down our eyes. But we have taken the things of God for granted. You take for granted the fact that you can come to church. And hear a sermon. You take for granted the fact that you can turn on a radio. And hear a sermon. You take for granted the fact that you can turn on a TV. And hear a sermon. You take for granted the fact that you have Bibles in your home. That you can pick. Choose and refuse. What has happened in the church today is that people have become very fat and lazy with the things of God. We have forgotten what it means to really press into God, to really do the things of God. It is not just enough to come to church and do the things. You have to get in with your Lord. You have to spend time in His presence. You have to spend time in the Word. And the indictment that Jesus bore upon these Jews was the thing you have. You took it so much for granted that here I am, the Messiah standing in front of you, giving you an invitation to come. You despise it. You throw it away. So I'm going to go out to the poor. That you reject the Gentiles you despise, and I'm gonna come and call them in. Jesus said, not only bring them in when he spoke of the Gentiles, he said, force them to come in. Christians, I come here this morning because too many of us have become very comfortable. And in our tiny, neat little boxes, I am a believer, I'm okay, I'm skating in, and that may be true, but there is more. We have to be able to go out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I am doing it by radio. You guys are doing it through your puppet work. You guys are doing it through the DR. But the Lord is calling not just a few, he is calling every single one of us. Do not take the fact that you are so blessed in the church for granted, please. Do not take it for granted because there are people in various parts of this world, believe it or not today, that still don't have the gospel, that have to listen on radio to hear the gospel. And I'm talking about places in Europe when I get emails telling me that I have my Bible class sitting in front of the radio, learning from your radio program. And my program is only half an hour. Half an hour, the one that goes out over the internet. Half an hour. And we grumble and complain, especially you young people, about coming to church on other Sunday. Oh Ma, we gotta go to church again. Yeah, you gotta go to church. You take it for granted. And that is the message God sent me here this morning. That's why I took my time to lay out the teaching part of it. Because I wanted to see that the parable that Jesus brought to the the Jewish leaders was an indictment, was a condemnation that you're so blessed. You're taking it for granted because you take it for granted. I'm going to take it away from you and give it to other people. And if you don't believe me, think about Europe. Europe now, that that has sent out missionaries all over the world. Is more pagan than the very Africa they sent missionaries to. Do not take for granted church. What you have in Jesus Christ. Value it. Cherish it. That you can open the scripture. And read the scripture anytime. Value it. Cherish it that you can come together, gather together, worship like you do this morning, hear the word as you heard this morning, fellowship one with the other, cherish it, value it because there's coming a day when it may be taken from you and you may not have it. I am tired. I see people more excited. About Donald Trump and the the Democrats and the Republicans. They spend more time talking about that. But ask them to go out and do evangelism. You can't find them. Ask them to come to an all night of prayer. You can't find them. But at a political rally. Oh, they're up front waving. Oh, hallelujah. God will hold us accountable, church. We are so blessed in the United States of America. I don't think we understand how blessed we are. You are so blessed here at Long Island Long Island Alliance Church. The stuff that happens in your church don't happen in a lot of churches. Bible study, mm-hmm. worship time, stuff for the youth. Mission trips, vacation Bible school. Don't take it for granted. And I'm talking especially to our young people this morning. When we move off the scene, you are it. You are our next pastors. You are our next missionaries. You are our next church leaders. What are you doing? To so prepare yourself to be in this spot. I know people tell you a whole lot of hogwash about Christian, the church is full of hypocrites. All those pastors. Listen, I usually tell them, if the church is full of hypocrites, where do you want them to go? Let them bring their hypocritical self into the church. That's where they will hear the gospel. And something will touch them. And change their lives. The indictment is upon the church today. Because like the Jews, we have been highly favored. And we have been blessed. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. We are the buffer between the United States staying vibrant for the things of God. Or becoming dead and wasteful like Europe. The invitation dilemma was. The people who were invited. Were the first choice. The privileged ones. They didn't want it. But guess what? They didn't want it. God took it. And he gave it to us. What are you going to do with it? I challenge you this morning, every single one of you. What are you going to do with what the Lord has blessed you with? How are you going to use it? How are you going to value it? What are you going to do with it? It's not enough just to show up in church. It's not enough to say I'm a Christian and I go to church. The Lord wants more. He wants... All of you, you can't tell God I can't do it because my business got me busy. I can't make it to church. My family ties, my this, my that, the excuses, the excuses, the excuses. When Jesus went to the cross, he did not make one excuse, but he stretched out his arms and he died for us. Yes, I am making this hard. Yes, I'm being obnoxious and I am being obnoxious intentionally so because we have become comfortable, we have taken for granted the things of God. We have taken for granted that we have a church that we can come to, people we can fellowship with, Bible studies we can be involved in, hearing good preaching that your pastors labor over... All week to bring to you, and oh my God, we take it for granted that we leave out of here and we go and we live anywhere and we forget about God. But God sent me here this morning to call you. Do not take for granted the blessings I've given to you. I'm done. Pastor, come please.